0: Welcome to the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast for another example of astronomy misconceptions, mistakes, half-truths, and conspiracies. My name is Stuart Robbins, and this is episode 22 for the second quarter of February 2012. The topic I'm going to talk about today is a continuation of last episode, in this case, why we are not undergoing a geographic pole shift. Last week, I discussed the majority of the claimed scientific evidence from one of the main advocates, or at least one of the main people who present a cogent story, of the geographic pole flip, where Earth's spin axis actually moves. We're going to continue that this week with what could actually do this, as opposed to what the doomsday people claim. There are two different scenarios, first off. The first is that the entire planet moves— As in, the center of the planet is a core, then there's a mantle, then there's a thin crust, and all of that is moving, or rotating. Proposed mechanisms for this happening are a magical planet X, or a brown dwarf star, gravity waves, dark rifts, beams of energy shot through the sun during an alignment won't actually happen, and I'm sure loads of other things, like consciousness. The problem with all of these is that none of them would actually do what any of them claim. If I want to just move something, I can do it by pushing or pulling it. The force in physics that's the equivalent of pulling in this case would be gravity. So it is true that if there were a planet X or a star or whatever that was going to really swing really, really close to Earth, then its gravity would affect the planet and would move us a little bit towards that other object. And I stress, a little bit. But that's all it would do. Move us it wouldn't rotate us much at all. And yes, there's a tiny footnote there that there would be a very, very slight rotation due to tidal forces, but it's minuscule to the point that it's really not worth mentioning. Remind me to take that out during editing. So, gravity will pull an object, all of an object, in order to actually get a rotation, then you have to apply a torque. If you push or pull on one part of the object while not doing so on the other, That would be a torque. When I give this talk in front of people, I usually have a water bottle in front of me. Gravity would be like me grabbing a hold of the water bottle and pulling it towards me. But a torque would be me pushing on, say, just the top or the bottom or the side, and hence rotating it. Problem is that you don't get this by Planet X swinging by. Or a supposed dark rift, or a gravity wave, or a galaxy wave, or consciousness, or any of this other stuff. A tractor beam could do it. So if the beings on planet X that have somehow managed to cloak their entire planet from being detected by light and not affecting anything by gravity also happen to have a tractor beam on it that could pull or push just a small part of Earth's crust, that would do it. But I haven't seen any of the planet Xers or 2012ers actually claim this. Now, for completeness sake, and so I don't get any angry emails from physicists or astronomers or avid amateurs, as I mentioned earlier, you can get just a little bit of torque due to tidal forces from a passing object because Earth is not completely spherical. But the amount is minuscule. An alternative way that a Planet X or space debris that's just sort of hanging out there in the dark rift that doesn't actually exist could apply a torque to the planet is if it smashed into us. Going back to the water bottle analogy, it would be like throwing a rock onto the side of the water bottle so as to rotate it just a little bit. The problem with this scenario is the relative masses involved. Every body in the solar system has been hit and is being hit by space debris. Earth gets hit every day by tons of material, literally. But Earth itself weighs in at about 6 times 10 to the 24 kilograms. It's really hard for us to imagine that as everyday Earthlings, because we just don't deal with numbers that big. But let's let's sort of give this perspective. Even the dinosaur-killing asteroid event that left the 150-kilometer-wide Chicxulub impact crater was only 0.00001% of the mass of Earth. Going back to the water bottle analogy yet again, using just a plastic in a half-liter bottle that you would get at a grocery store in a 24-pack, or if you're a Costco, a 128-pack or whatever, then we're talking about hitting that water bottle with the amount of material equivalent to the daily recommended intake of iodine for adults, or one-twentieth of the weight of a mosquito, or two eyebrow hairs. So, throw two eyebrow hairs at a full water bottle, and that's the equivalent of Earth getting hit by the dinosaur-killing asteroid. Not that much. So I hope it's kind of needless to actually say at this point that if we were going to get hit by anything like that, first it still wouldn't create a big enough torque to cause a pole shift. And second, if something that big or big enough to cause a pole shift were to actually hit us, we'd have bigger things to worry about. With that said, I wanted to very quickly address an alternative pole shift idea. That it's not just the entire planet rotating, but it's only the crust, that thin, you know, 10 to 70 kilometer thick crust that overlies the mantle. Only that is rotating. That's the proposed mechanism by, or the proposed scenario of Brent Miller, who I discussed in detail last episode, episode 21. Problem with that scenario is pretty much the exact same as rotating the entire planet. The proposed mechanisms by the 2012 Doomsday People are bogus. They just wouldn't do it. Sorry. Now, with all that out of the way, we're on to topic two for this episode, which is ways to prove that we are actually not in a pole shift right now. This is because I mentioned last week that there are some people out there who think, and claim, that we've already undergone a pole shift, and that the powers that be, or the men in black who don't allow women in their ranks, have kept all of this from us stupids. But... The smarties on the conspiracy websites have managed to figure out the big, big lie and are desperately trying to tell us in horribly designed websites with flashy images and magenta on black text that it's impossible to read, but they're still trying to tell us that all of this is going on. It's time for The Puzzler, where each odd quarter episode, which this is not, I attempt to ask a critical thinking question based loosely on the material discussed in the main segment. I'll ask a new one next week. We're still in the main segment, and the reason that I'm bringing up The Puzzler is that the scenario last time was, how would we know if Earth has already experienced a geographic pole shift, if you assume that the doom and gloom scenarios wouldn't actually happen? How could you tell? So congratulations first goes to Charles in San Diego for being the first to supply an answer via email. His solution is, if the Earth had been somehow knocked into a different spin relative to the Sun, then the existing polar ice would have melted, and new polar ice caps would have formed in the new up-down orientation. There would be physical evidence of this, such as ocean salinity dropping dramatically. Furthermore, the origin of our existing ice caps would be datable through core analysis to a time period in which an identifiable pair of alternative ice caps melted. So Charles' answer is actually interesting and I like it, except that it would require a somewhat longer time to take effect. As in if the geographic pole shift happened last year, then this wouldn't really be a good method. A 1000 years ago sure, but It's one that will work, so I'm giving him the ribbon for this episode for answering the puzzler first. Chu, however, gets the runner-up ribbon from the SGU message boards. His solution is in part, if the poles shifted, and I'm assuming 180 degrees, the stars would be out of whack, i.e. Polaris would be above the South Pole, constellations and lunar features would appear inverted. So Chu actually mentioned my second favorite method— and that really just boils down to all of the stars would be in different locations. If you can see the North Pole star from your location on Earth now, and it's at the North Celestial Pole, well, actually about three-quarter degrees off of it, then we have not undergone a pole shift. Leonard gets the bronze ribbon, or bronze trophy, third place ribbon, whichever. He also supplied a solution which is actually the same as choose but I like it because he put it very succinctly and matter-of-factly. For geographic pole shift, the sun and stars would rise and fall in new locations. This would be impossible to hide. There are several other methods in order to prove, and by prove I do mean prove, that we have not undergone a dramatic pole shift. Uh, The first is my object of choice is the sun. It's big, bright, easy to see, all that fun, good stuff. If we had undergone a geographic pole shift, That basically the sun would no longer rise and set in the same location it had before on what were key days, such as the solstices and equinoxes. And the highest and lowest points of the sun would be different on the solstices in your hemisphere. This method is a little bit tricky because the sun does move in terms of where it rises and sets throughout the year, but that's a topic for a future episode. My second object, or group of objects of choice, are stars, for the reasons that Chu and Leonard mentioned. I don't really think much needs to be said about that. My third is a bit more subtle, and that's the tropics, and the Arctic, and Arctic Circle, and how long day and night are. Granted, the effects aren't subtle, but the geometry is, and it's a little bit hard to describe in an audio podcast. But I'll try anyway. The tropics of Capricorn and Cancer are at plus or minus 23.5 degrees on Earth and are defined as where the sun is directly overhead on one of the solstices. So that 23.5 degrees, that's Earth's axial tilt. If Earth's axial tilt were different, then the tropics would be in a different place. Where the sun is directly overhead on the summer solstice in that hemisphere would be at a different latitude. Similarly, the Antarctic and Arctic circles are at 90 degrees minus 23.5 degrees, or plus or minus 66.5 degrees. And above, or north, not north, but poleward of the Arctic and Antarctic circles, the sun will never rise around the winter solstice, and it will never set around the summer solstice. What this means is that if we had already undergone a pole shift, then people near the tropics and the Arctic circle would have noticed for example, there's at least one website out there that claims that our geographic poles have already shifted by at least 20 degrees, such that our axial tilt is now 46 degrees. I'm at 40 degrees north latitude. That would mean that summer solstice now, the sun would be past directly overhead. You know, sometime maybe a month before and after, this sun would be directly overhead in Boulder. That doesn't happen. It would also mean that about a month ago, Australia would have had 24 hours of sun and that Canada would have had 24 hours of darkness. Now, I know that Canada is kind of a depressing country anyway, but I don't think that they've had 24 hours of darkness. So we really have not undergone a pole shift. The fourth method that I like is kind of more vague, which is why it's fourth, and that's simply that the seasons would be more or less severe due to the change tilt. If our tilt were increased, such as to the 46 degrees, then the seasons would be more severe. If it decreased, then they would be less severe. And that's really all there is to it. No, we have not undergone a pole shift. There is observations, many observations that you can make to prove that we have not undergone a geographic pole shift. The mechanism for a geographic pole shift does not really naturally exist and so all these claimed doomsday proponents of ah there's going to be a geographic bull shift that is not going to happen especially not going to happen in the next oh say 10 months or so The Q&A will return next episode, which is why we're going straight to feedback. I have two feedback items this week. Uh, Related to an older episode, episode 19, on some of the claims of John Lear, I'd forgotten to mention CJ's comment on my website. He says, Excellent show, as usual, but I think you slightly misunderstood Lear's point about Venus in false color. I don't think he means that the clouds are in a false color. Rather, he's referring to the Magellan radar and similar images, which are often colored to match Venera images of the surface. Looking forward to the next edition. That's possible. Uh, Lear didn't actually say what Venus color was going to be. He simply said the color of Venus, uh, as I played in the episode. So it's possible that he said this, but his whole scenario still is kind of screwed up. Related to last week's episode on the Part 1 of the Geographic pole Shift, Edgar from Canada says, One other thing not mentioned in describing what keeps continents quote-unquote afloat is that there is no rotational mechanism to keep Antarctica up there. Certainly, it can't be centrifugal, which is imaginary anyway. And yes, I knew that someone was going to email in and correct me that centrifugal is not a real force, it's imaginary force. Yeah, 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 but we all call it centrifugal and and like to think of it. So, Edgar is quite correct. There is no centrifugal force, or whatever. There is no force pushing outward to keep the poles, so Antarctica in the south, or the north polar ice cap in the north, afloat. One could argue in the north it's not as big an issue because there's no land under it, it's just kept afloat because it's ice and so it's buoyant. But really, in Antarctica, nothing's keeping it afloat. In terms of announcements, yes, this is a short episode. It's actually closer to the length that I initially planned this podcast on being, but that's a different issue. I realize that it's coming out roughly a day late. That's because I was really busy with a conference and then I got sick on the airplane coming back. So... Keep in mind, people, if you're ever sitting next to someone and you're sick and you cough, cough into your sleeve or a napkin away from the person sitting next to you. You will get them sick. It was kind of difficult for me to actually try to record a podcast when I couldn't speak. So I apologize for coming out late and now you have your lesson in airplane etiquette. And that wraps up this shorter topic for the 22nd edition of the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy Podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed it and learned a little at the same time. For more information about this podcast, please visit the website at podcast.sjrdesign.net. If you have any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website, or send an email to podcast at sjrdesign.net, or leave a comment on the page for this episode on the website. I read every email, and I appreciate the feedback, even if I haven't responded to you for a month or two. Sorry. If you have suggestions for topics, please feel free to make them. And if you like this podcast, please write a review and rate it on iTunes, and tell your friends, family, and frenemies. And even if you sort of thought it was mediocre, still feel free to send feedback.